Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, it's my pleasure to host this virtual lecture with Professor Marcus Cueto and Dr. Gabriel Lopez. It's the second in a series of talks that the UCL Institute of the Americas Research Network will be convening this month to examine the long history of the coronavirus crisis. My name is Stephen Colbrook. I'm a PhD candidate at the Institute. The purpose of this lecture series is to provide an initial historical assessment of the overlapping crises that have given shape to our current moments. Today, I am delighted that we can hear from two globally prominent historians of medicine on the coronavirus crisis in Brazil. Professor Marcus Cueto is a professor at the Casa Oswaldo Cruz, a research unit in Rio de Janeiro devoted to the history of science and health. He specializes in the history of public health in Latin America with work on HIV AIDS, malaria, the Pan-American Health Organization and the Rockefeller Foundation. Dr. Gabriel Lopez is a postdoctoral research and professor at the same institution. He is currently working on the history of viruses and vectors in the urban ecology of diseases in Latin America. Both Professor Cueto and Dr. Lopez recently co-authored the article Backlash in Global Health and the AIDS, AIDS Exceptionalism in Brazil, 2007 to 2019, published in Global Public Health. Well, we'll get straight to the lecture, just a few bits of housekeeping first. At the end, we will have a brief 15 to 20 minute Q&A. Uh, to ask a question, please either post it in the chat or simply raise your hand and put your audio and video on. Last week, uh, the first of, our, of these lecture series, I uh, accidentally didn't switch on the audio and the video. My apologies for that. So this time I will make sure I do that. So you will be able to switch your audio and video on for asking a question. But without further ado, I'll pass over to Marcus and Gabriel for the lecture. Thanks very much. Thank, thank you very much. Um, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you to the Institute. Uh, we're delighted to be here. And uh, we changed the title. And um, in general, it's an effort to describe and try to give some organization to the main responses to the epidemic during the first year, namely late February of 2020 to the beginning of this year. And uh, the subtitle has two terms in the form of a question. We are not going to respond exactly if what happened in Brazil was a case of mismanagement or necropolitics, but we want to describe how these terms appear in Brazil during the last year and became so important. No? Mismanagement is uh, more easy to understand, uh, Bolsonaro, uh, was accused almost from the beginning as an extreme case of uh, science denial and um, dismissal of any medical recommendation and criticism of uh, physician public health people. And necropolitics, maybe it's not so well known, but it's a concept that has been around for a few years. It was designed by a philosopher of Cameroon and in the last year became very popular and I will explain it later how it became popular in Brazil but basically is the idea that the states and the elite can decide who is going to live and who is going to die. Um, one image is uh, Bolsonaro trying to use a mask 
in one of the few cases he used a mask during uh, the epidemic last year. And the other one is a protest in Copacabana in Rio de Janeiro. And people are protesting for the high mortality of cases in the country. Now, uh, Gabriel will continue and I will come back at the end. Gabriel? Thanks, Marcos. In one year, uh, Brazil is the second country in the world with most infections and deaths from COVID-19, surpassed only by the US. As social inequality was an accelerator of the pandemic, it's important to provide a brief summary. The population living in favelas in Brazil in 2018 was estimated in over 11 million people, 16.3% of the national population of over 200 million inhabitants. The figure, the figure was higher in cities like Rio de Janeiro, of where 24% of inhabitants live in favelas, more than 1.4 million people. Most people in favelas define themselves as black and mixed race. Black and mixed race people define the Portuguese as pretos and pardos. It's uh, uh, over half of Brazil's population, around 50.7%. In addiction, poverty grew 33% between 2015 and 2018. Um, unemployment and underemployment comprised 40% of the national population. In 2018, there were 23.3 million people living below the poverty line, with an income of about 50 US dollars per month. The problem of lack of basic sanitation, prevention of coronavirus, went beyond favelas. Over 26 million Brazilians in urban areas have no access to pipe and drinking water. In addition, many people walk over one hour each day to obtain water. This context of social inequality made a large part of the population more vulnerable to COVID-19. The percent of ICU beds for adults assigned to the care of patients with COVID-19 in an extraordinary edition of the bulletin of the COVID observatory from Fiocruz, there was this update of the historical series on the occupation of COVID-19 ICU beds for adults in the Brazilian health system, SUS in Portuguese. With data obtained a week ago, the analysis presents rates verified since July 17th of 2020 and aims to alert to the critical scenario of the country. According to the bulletin, of total of 27 capitals of the country, 25 occupancy rates of COVID-19 ICU beds for adults equal to or greater than 80%. As you can see in the red states in the map, it's critical. It's greater than 80% of occupation. In the face of an extremely critical situation of COVID-19 ICU bed occupancy rates, which indicates an overload and even a collapse in the health system, the researchers reinforced the need of expanding and strengthening non-pharmacological measures involving physical and social distancing, using of masks and hand hygiene. Now it's important to present a brief chronology. Uh, we stress uh, three main actors, President Bolsonaro, João Doria, who is the, the governor of Sao Paulo State, 
a Nebraska, the main public health association in Brazil, and favelas leadership and representatives. In late February, the first case developed. The first case of COVID-19 in Brazil was reported in Sao Paulo, a 61-year-old man returning from Italy. The first, uh, in March, Bolsonaro minimized the pandemic and favor, favored vertical quarantines. Vertical quarantines is a way to say that you should only protect people who are vulnerable in a way that they're senior citizens or people with comorbidities. In March, Bolsonaro minimizes the pandemic and favors these vertical quarantines. In Gidari risks, Bolsonaro visited the U.S. to dine with President Trump at Palm Beach, as you can see in the picture uh, on top of the slide. On March 7, afterwards, over 20 members of his delegation tasted positive, tested positive for coronavirus, and Bolsonaro did not self-isolate. President Bolsonaro scorned medical advice, ridiculed masks, and encouraged people to go back to work. On March 24, he called the pandemic a little flu in a statement broadcasted on TV. At the same time, panelazos, the urban protests where families bank pots against Bolsonaro occurred frequently. Also, in late March, he embraced followers at rallies protected by the police, tweeted videos of himself in, in bakeries, posing with people in defense of social distancing, claiming Brazilians were naturally immune to virus since nothing happens, as we can see in the second picture. March 27, March, all 27 states had cases. The total of number of cases was over 2,000, and the number of deaths, 80. On March 18, Abrasco, the main public health association, and medical organizations sent a letter to Bolsonaro, help for favelas, financial assistance, waivers of water, electricity, and telephone bills, distribution of food and, food and hygienic kits, a campaign of hand wash, and use of masks, and establishment of TTI, test, trace, and isolate. On April, Bolsonaro chloroquine inflamed his political base, avoided negotiations, supported fake news, distracted investigations, sent subsidies to the poor in a way to stabilize his approval ratings. When WHO, the World Health Organization, reported over 1 million cases of COVID-19 worldwide, his denial included a short-lived attempt to promote the vertical quarantine. As I said, the confinement of at-risk groups like the elderly. Through to the better than thought to be better than horizontal quarantine practicing the, in the rest of the world. Despite the ephemeral proposal of UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, the Brazilian president also argued that the best solution would be to reach natural collective herd immunity as soon as possible by allowing a general contamination. Academic studies in international journals criticized Bolsonaro for its sense of COVID-19 as the article published in Global by Orsini and Ortega. And also he was uh, an example of by the academics, but as the world, worst world example of medical populism, 
and the Brazilian president was, was ridiculed in international newspapers. In April 11, when over of 20, 20, 20,000 Brazilians had the disease, a number of deaths was 1,124, a dramatic outbreak occurred in Manaus, the biggest city in Amazon region, with over 2.2 million people and where 40% residents lived without piped water. Images of overloaded hospitals and mass graves appeared in newspapers. Bolsonaro sparked outrage because he said that was not responsible for the rising mortality since he was not a grave digger. Condemned by newspapers in the following days when Brazil over, overcome China in the number of cases, Bolsonaro abandoned his support of vertical quarantines and focusing on chloroquine, but maintained his distaste for lockdowns. Bolsonaro's obsession with chloroquine was mainly political. It underscored his admiration to Trump rather than faith in the controversial claims of French scientist Didier Raoult. It also exposed how a silver technological bullet was manipulated not to launch a health campaign, but to mimic a palliative that severed to political ends. On May, Two ministers of health who recommended more studies before deciding whether or not to approve the drug were forced out, the physicians Luis Henrique Mandetta and the Nestle Teich, who left the government on April 16 and May 15, 2020, respectively. That made chloroquine the main official anti-coronavirus measure, as Bolsonaro replaced uh, the Minister of Health uh, Position with a loyal, unqualified army general. Bolsonaro pressed uh, the health regulator, regulator agency and visa to authorize the drug for COVID-19, abolish taxes on chloroquine imports. When a setback in Bolsonaro's alliance with Trump was used to validate the drug. To minimize the news that the U.S. imposed the travel ban on Brazilians, Bolsonaro thanked the U.S for sending 2 million doses of hydroxychloroquine, thanked uh, Trump. Bolsonaro's glorification of chloroquine secured his followers' loyalty. First evangelicals and so other followers spoke of him in messianic terms. On July, when tested positive for coronavirus in early July, Bolsonaro publicized he felt better immediately after taking hydroxychloroquine with azithromycin. At the time, more than 60,000 Brazilians had died of coronavirus. Academics Ortega Orsini criticized Bolsonaro administration for non-governance of COVID-19 in an article published in the journal Global Public Health. In August, uh, with vaccine trials and this decline of cases, Bolsonaro's response critiqued, was critiqued as necropolitics that we are going to explain, as Marco said, how the term is used. Uh, it's a threefold answer, I guess, for this term. In October, Bolsonaro supports European corporations' interest in vaccine patents at the World Trade Organization. Uh, Brazilian diplomats support the US and European Union against India and South Africa at the World Trade Organization. Those middle-income countries wanted to waive intellectual property rights of vaccines to ensure a wide distribution. On December, Manaus outbreak in northern Brazil uh, 
made a new variant develop. By January, scientists had discovered that the new variant, which became as P1, had become dominant in the state. Within weeks, its danger became clear as hospitals in the city ran out of oxygen amid crush of patients, leading score, leading, leading score, um, leading score of suffocate to death. In January, the vaccination begins. Just a summary, uh, the minimization of the pandemic by the ultra-right populist, ultra -right populist Jair Bolsonaro, the president Jair Bolsonaro, in power since 19, was followed by his chloroquine obsession. And finally, his reluctant involvement in a fragile consensus on vaccines that emerged towards the end of 2020. He clashed with the Sao Paulo right-wing governor, João Doria, head of the largest and most economically powerful state in Brazil. And with favela organizations and the May Public Health Association of Brasco that urge programs to attend social inequality. The next slide, we have some pictures, some images of the Bolsonaro supporters protesting against the, the Chinese vaccine. There's a short hair woman uh, with a mask, yellow mask. Uh, it's written, Vacina não, in Portuguese playing with the words China, 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 and vaccine, vacina. So it's vaccine, the, the, the vaccine from China. And there's a saying uh, after that, say uh, Doria out against the governor of Sao Paulo that was bringing the, the COVAX uh, from China to Brazil. And the following image we see the 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 saying no queremos vacina chinesa we don't want the chinese vaccine and the third image no queremos vacina nós temos a cloroquina we don't want the vaccine we have chloroquine those protests have happened in sao paulo rio de janeiro and curitiba and other capitals in, in brazil in December. Uh, the, the vaccine reception in late 2020, uh, this uh, images is just to, to show the, the rivalry, uh, the competition between the governor of Sao Paulo, as we can see in the image uh, on top. Uh, He's, uh, he's with uh, Dimas Covas on his uh, left, the, the director, the, the president of the Butantan Institute that is uh, producing the, the vaccine. And on his uh, right side is the health secretary of health uh, of Sao Paulo State. And uh, this is a, 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 the arrival of the, the active pharmaceutical ingredients from China to produce the CoronaVac at Putantan Institute in Sao Paulo. Uh, also arrived vaccines uh, ready to be inoculated. Uh, it arrived that, 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 uh, that active pharmaceutical ingredients arrived in December and waited for the regulatory agency to approve, and then the vaccination started in January. And then we contrast 
the, the banner that is in on top of the picture is saying that the blue banner saying that the vaccine of Brazil uh, and on the right side on the, the right side of the Brazilian flag we have the Butantan Institute logo and the, the flag of Sao Paulo state saying that uh, the Brazilian vaccine and, and João Doria, the governor of Sao Paulo, posing as the protagonist of the, the political protagonist of the, the vaccination in Brazil. Um, and the second picture on the left, we see the, the short man is the Ministry of Health, Irineo Pazuello, with the Ministry of Internal, uh, International Relations. Uh, and the banner is written, uh, you, you immunize the Brazil. We are just one nation saying that the efforts to bring the vaccine was from the federal, federal government above all and not uh, initiative from the Sao Paulo state. In the middle, we see uh, uh, the cover of the Veja magazine uh, in, in December saying that uh, it's uh, the main magazine in the country owned by the same company that has the main TV station in Brazil. Uh, with a very big circulation. And we see uh, this picture uh, and say the Victoria da Vacina, the, the vaccine victory. And the small letters, it's uh, a phrase saying that uh, the victory of science, the vaccine is the victory of science against denialism. This young man on the, the right side of the slide is the, it's a Brazilian musician, an MC, a rapper from Rio de Janeiro named MC Fiori. Uh, in an article published by the Guardian newspaper explained that, I quote, this viral rapper became an expected champion of COVID vac vaccine drive. Fiori, Fiori updates its lyrics to praise the doctors and not the, the advanced. This is the intriguing vaccine. Uh, this is the lyrics that translate to English of the music. This is the intriguing vaccine that messes with your mind and will cure us from the virus and save loads of lives. He sings in the new version. He plays with the words boom boom, the song original title, formed by the Portuguese word for bottom, boom boom, and the sound of percussion instrument, tantan. It's very similar to butantan, the Tupi-Guarani derived name of the Sao Paulo Research Institute that now is producing millions of doses of the coronavac. The work of MC Fiori helped Doria and Butantan Institute to promote the CoronaVac and the anti-denialism online wave. The arrival of the vaccine and Doria protagonists helped to weaken the belief of in an early treatment with chloroquine and azithromycin as a solution and to show the inefficiency of the federal government. Uh, the story will change because in the last two weeks we have uh, a new protagonist uh, of Lula, the former president, and also the Pazuelo, uh, the general Pazuelo left the Ministry of Health. I think at the end, Marcos will say more about it. And Marcos? Okay. So, uh, as uh, Gabriel described, it has been a year with a lot of fragmentation, and as one epidemiologist put it, it was not only a pandemic, but a pandemonium. No? Um, and I'm going to explain briefly the meaning that the term, the concept necropolitics 
acquiring Brazil in the last year. There have been a number of uh, articles, websites that have used the term. No? It was initially designed uh, by a philosopher from Cameroon, Chile Membe, and he has a number of publications, including a book by Duke University Press. But in Brazil, it had mainly three meanings. No, the, It was the idea of the use of force by the state to eliminate minorities. For example, the abuses of the police when they enter a favela and kill uh, black people in the so-called war on drugs uh, or terrorize families. Um, also, it was a denunciation of the high number of Afro-Brazilians and people of mixed race that populate the prisons in Brazil. And also the intensification of uh, the killing of uh, indigenous people in the Amazon. No? The Amazon deforestation has been going on for years, but it has acquired a more intense meaning with Bolsonaro that has allowed and promoted illegal miners and farmers to take the land of the Indian communities. And just a brief historical background about this issue. The Constitution of 1988 established Indian reservations. Um, about two years ago, those Indian reservations uh, comprised about 30% of the land of the country and were about a little less than a million people live with little contact with uh, the rest of the country. But Bolsonaro for a long time has said that that was a big mistake. The Indians made no contribution to the national economy and that this land should be given to the lodgers or miners or farmers that were part of the, of the rest of the economy. No? And in the past few months and even in the first year of Bolsonaro before the pandemic, the deforestation has um, I think double in relationship with previous years. So that was the first meaning that necropolitics had in Brazil, that there was a use of force to eliminate minorities. Secondly, that the state provides very little in terms of social services, basic sanitation, public schools, uh, transportation, and in some ways, it promotes a process of slow deaths among the poor because it makes them more vulnerable to preventable diseases. And at the same time, hides information about the poor. No? Uh, so, in that, so indirectly contributes to a banalization of uh, mortality among the majority of the population. And that has even happened and have been denounced by the supporters of this idea of necropolitics during the pandemic. It has been very difficult to collect information on um, ethnic identity of the people who have died during the pandemic. No? And also Bolsonaro has tried a couple of times to stop the 
publication of the total numbers of people who died in the pandemic. And there was a court order that made him uh, release that information. And the third meaning of necropolitics is that there has been um, a decision, a commitment of the state and the elite to let some people die, especially ethnic minorities. Uh, towards the end of last year, there was a very important scholar called Daisy Ventura that leaded a group of lawyers and public health experts in Sao Paulo. They published a report saying that there was what they call an institutional strategy to let the virus spread in the population and um, to block the work of um, local governments that want to implement some kind of uh, lockdowns or social restriction. And um, there are a number of studies, as I mentioned, on necropolitics, but what I, what I found interesting is that a few weeks ago, uh, an article in The Lancet used that concept, no? and <clears throat> made an interesting difference between necropolitics and the uh, idea of uh, biopolitics. No, that's why the subtitle of the article, Far Beyond Biopolitics, is a concept related to Foucault. Uh, according to the article, uh, the idea of Foucault is that the state induces self-discipline among citizens, but in necropolitics, the notion is that the state decides who is going to live and who is going to die. Uh, the next one, Gabriel. So these are very preliminary conclusions. Before I, I say something about them, um, I would just want to mention that a few weeks ago, Oxfam, that has an office in Brazil, and during the year, Oxfam, and as Gabriel uh, mentioned, other NGO, favela leaders, and the Public Health Association made a number of um, accusations and reports against Bolsonaro, no? Um, but Oxfam, a few weeks ago, published a report with a telling title, no? The Inequality Virus, that uh, they expect that there will be greater social disparities uh, after the epidemic, especially in terms of income, gender, and ethnicity. They fear an unequal distribution of the vaccine, and they fear also that the neglect of the health system will persist. As probably some of you know, uh, Brazil is one of the few countries that has a national health system, but it has been under attack for the past few years, and its resources and staff have been reduced. No? Now, what is interesting, and in many ways, it's even a mystery for us, is how Bolsonaro was able to maintain some uh, popularity in, in after making all this irrational, to call it some, somehow, responses to the disease, no? He was able to, well, I think maybe there are three answers, no? One is the subsidy he gave to the poor that was important. It was about um, minimal salary and that existed since April to December. No, it was, I have been suspended in January, February, and they're talking that it will come back in March or April. 
uh, he gave that subsidy and he gave a greater subsidy to banks and big businesses. No? And that probably helped him a lot. Um, something else that he was able, I think, to uh, make a cultural war uh, where masks and vaccines have a nationality and ideology more important than social inequality. And he created a group of followers that were basically like a sect. You no, know, he insisted a couple of times that he was a commandant of the country and that people just have to obey him. Many people in the government are military now. And the past few days, he has been discussing with all our generals who is going to be the next Minister of Health. It might be a position, but the decision is being taken by a group of uh, the military side of the government, no? And, um, and he survived also uh, all the accusations. And towards the end of the year, he, there were 60 proposals of impeachment against Bolsonaro in Congress, no? But he began to give uh, offices to different people, different political parties, and was able to get a, a, a new president in the Congress that is against impeachment. So that's another reason why he has survived with this traditional practices of um, authoritarianism and paternalism with the people and with all political parties, no? Something interesting is uh, the issue of vaccines, no? And we have discuss been discussing if these are really magic bullets. Uh, usually, historians of medicine um, examine how quick technological fixes have been used in the past in disease control campaigns, no? For example, in the case of malaria eradication of the 1950s, DDT appeared as a solution to many problems of uh, rural malaria. In this case, many times vaccines have been uh, advocated as a solution, but at the same time, there is no comprehensive vaccination campaign. There is no they're not sufficient vaccines. They don't have bought yet still um, sufficient vaccines. There are big plans. Maybe in Sao Paulo, they have better plans than in the rest of the country. But so in returning to the meanings, no? uh, necropolitics uh, apparently has become very popular among favela leaders that truly believe that the government intends to kill to kill them, and there are some studies, recent studies, or, or polls that they um, place in their website that the real intention is to kill their leaders, no? And that is something that happened from the beginning of the government of Bolsonaro that killed a number of leaders of uh, unions, also from favelas, and that has continued during the epidemic. But also academics that are usually part of the Workers' Party or all leftist parties share this notion of necropolitics. And mismanagement, I think that is a meaning that is preferred by the center-right opponents of Bolsonaro, including Doria. No? Uh, Doria that belongs to a political party of the center-right that initially supported Bolsonaro. Initially, I mean 2019, no? before the pandemic. 
Maybe, I'm not certain about this, Doria and other people in the center right uh, prefer this interpretation of mismanagement because necropolitics in some way blames the economic elite for the violence the poor suffer. You know? And that is something they want to avoid. And maybe also because they, they are trying to portray an idea that they would be the right alternative to Bolsonaro in the elections of 2022. Doria, until recently, I think until today, wanted to be um, pre the presidential candidate of the center right that was against Bolsonaro. And uh, maybe because they are trying to present the image that they could manage, they could be better managers of the social inequality that exists in the country. No? Uh, in any case, both meanings, I think, are related to a society with a lot of social inequality. And as medical anthropologists have found in other societies that also have social inequality, in Africa, for example, and those are societies where many times the poor believe that there is a conspiracy of the rich to destroy them. You know? And that is something that I feel that exists around this notion of necropolitics. You know? um, and in any case, both concepts are related to debilitated social welfare programs and an unjust society. And what we're living now is an humanitarian crisis. We can talk more on that later. No? And just to mention what Gabriel said at some moment that uh, last week, Lula has returned to politics. Uh, he has been allowed to be a candidate for the election of 2022. So that has meant a big change. And uh, Bolsonaro has been discussing this weekend on the possibility of a new minister of health that would replace the general that has been so criticized and that this minister might be a physician. You know? Sorry if we take too much time and if we have some questions, we will be delighted to respond whatever we can. Thank you. Thanks very much, Marcus and Gabriel. That was a super interesting lecture, and thank you for shedding light on some of the contemporary aspects of the uh, <clears throat> vaccine rollout as well. Uh, so we're going to have a Q&A now. So um, basically, if you have a question, please either post it in the chat or uh, raise your hand and uh, switch on your video and your audio, which should be in the bottom center of your screen, and ask your question. So uh, yeah, start asking away. Yes, David. Yeah, I'm. My name's David Lamer. I'm. Have you any comments to make about the positions of the medical, the medical profession, the Collegius Medicus? Have they said anything? Have their leaders said anything about the behaviour of the government during this crisis? No. Yeah. 
do, do, do you want me to respond now or take some? Uh, so respond to the questions right afterwards, yeah, and then we'll, okay. uh, we'll uh, go. I'll say something, maybe Gabriel can add something else. Um, because of time, we didn't have, uh, we, didn't, we didn't describe much of it, but in general, the main medical associations have been on the side of Abrasco, that is the main public health association, and have criticized uh, Bolsonaro very much, no? Uh, nevertheless, there are a few physicians that have supported Bolsonaro, no? that have said, well, that supported, for example, chloroquine. Um, uh, they say, well, we don't agree with all the science denial that is going on in the government, but we think that chloroquine works. Uh, we don't have time for a trial, but there is anecdotal evidence that it works in some of the people that I know that it works, and, um, and it is important. So I would say it's not a case where the medical community has been divided. Most of the medical community has been against Bolsonaro, but there have been a few physicians and prominent physicians that have received a lot of attention in TV and in the news that have supported Bolsonaro. And it's interesting that even today there are a number of physicians from Sao Paulo, and one, one very, uh, a person that is probably going to be the minister is a, is a lady that works in the main private hospital in the city of Sao Paulo. It's a people very well trained, a professor in the University of Sao Paulo. But I, I don't know, Gabriel, do, do, do you have something to say about this question? Yeah, I totally agree, Marcus. And uh, I would like to add that Bolsonaro put the the doctors in the center of this problem. Uh, it's not he said we should uh, do not trust that the Chinese vaccine will be good for the Brazilians, but you should trust your doctor when he recommends you chloroquine or azithromycin. Listen to your doctor. So it was a way to to make uh, his supporter talk directly to the doctors and not not read the research and the, the main uh, institutions in Brazil that take care of the science uh, in this case. Thank you. Okay, we have a question on the chat, which I will just read out. So, Paolo asks, how important was Trump and Bolsonaro's COVID strategy, given that they seem to follow similar strategies? Has Trump's defeat weakened Bolsonaro internally in Brazil, or is the course of the pandemic in Brazil more important in explaining recent shifts in strategy? Well, that is a very important question, and uh, I don't have a definitive answer, but what I could say right now is that it was very important at the beginning. Uh, Bolsonaro, like his nickname, his nickname is uh, Trump of the Tropics. Uh, he, follow, he followed Trump in many details and his decision to support chloroquine was because of Trump. Um, his decision to criticize the World Health Organization was because of Trump. 
his decision to side with the U.S. against India and South Africa in the World Trade Organization was because of Trump. Um, but at the same time, on a few occasions, there have been something different. No? For example, the World Health Organization decided it, it, towards September, October, to launch this initiative called COVAX that will provide some vaccines for the population of developing countries. Um, Trump didn't join that initiative and criticize the initiative saying that it could not work because of the WHO. Brazil joined that initiative. No, It requested a small amount of vaccines, but they entered that initiative. Yeah, of course, um, the position of Bolsonaro has been debilitated by the defeat of Trump um, and he's trying to reinvent himself with new alliances and, and new discourses. But will he be able to do it? I, I'm not certain. I don't know if Gabriel has something to say about Trump and Bolsonaro. Yeah, I totally agree uh, this this comparison. And uh, actually, Bolsonaro's son, uh, Eduardo Bolsonaro, his son, he's very close to Steve Bannon, and he's uh, one of the leaders in South America of uh, outright conservative movement. And he's, uh, I think Bolsonaro is the, the last politician that is using, like, daily basis, the Steve Bannon uh, strategies. But I think it's getting undermined by the vaccine and the movements and and the institutions in Brazil that that we presented, Abrasco, uh, uh, favela, NGOs, and leaderships, it's undermining. I think it's it's the end. But he's still following some of Bannon's uh, predicaments. Okay, so we have another question from the chat. In the UK, one feature has been contracting during the pandemic of services from the private sector at very wasteful expense of activities like surveillance, testing and tracing, and also of health communication, surveys of opinion, messaging, and so on. Given the pattern in Brazil of favoring the private sector in the health system, I wonder if similar patterns are occurring there. Um, that is a very good question, and I don't have a complete answer. And uh, I've seen in the audience, Ilana Lowy, that I think is uh, making a study not only in Brazil, but in different countries on this issue, no? But my impression is that uh, what happened in Europe or the US or implementing um, a system to track and test people was not really used in Brazil, no? Um, there was a moment when Pasuelo uh, decides that basically, tests will be done with people that arrive in hospitals. So that is why we have figures that many people consider that is really underreporting the real number of cases you have. No? And there's a discussion of how much would be that underreporting. Um, on the private sector, that is an important issue. I would, I will search more about that. I think that some um, private 
uh, insurances supported Doria instead of Bolsonaro. Uh, and uh, still, this is a country where about 75% of the people are covered by a national health system that is public. So the private sector is important, has a lot of money, but there is still a tradition of uh, public sector, no? Hello? Yeah, uh, I agree. It's it's good to see Lana here too. Okay, great. So we have a question from uh, Ilana now. No, I don't have a question. I just want. To, uh, can I speak? You hear me? Yeah. Do you hear me? Yeah. I yeah. just want to add to what uh, Gabriel and Marcus. No, for the question on TTI, indeed. We do research on this. Uh, we have our group maker comparative research with quite big stuff. But in Brazil, it was our ex-student, uh, Koishi Kameda, who is a Brazilian and now working in France, with Brazilian colleagues, which are Marilena Correa from uh, uh, and the cloud, Marilena Correa from his university, Estado US, the Rio de Janeiro, and the uh, Institute of the Medicina Social, and with Claudia Chamas from Fiocruz. I don't know if Marcos know her. And uh, we have a we have a collective research. There will be first paper appearing in uh, in the journal. Anyhow, we are going to publish a first uh, paper about it. Cadernos de Saúde Pública, I think, next month. But the, the long, the short story is, it's not my. Is I mean, I participate in this research, but it's mainly Koichi and Marilena and Claudia and who do this study. The main story is there is no Tete in Brazil. Point. There is none. I mean, because there is no, there were local initiatives, but very localized, and as Marcos and uh, Gabriel rightly explained, there is no federal and national policy. So it's no federal and national policy in COVID in general, so it's no federal and national policy on tests. And the quantity of tests done in Brazil is ridiculously small. I think it's about one-tenth of what they do, for example, in the U.S. on the same uh, per population number, and in, in France it's a little less. I mean, it's very, very little. There is mostly clinical use, people who come to hospital, and private tests that people do in pharmacy, which is the rapid antigenic test. But there is no centralization of results, and it's an extremely chaotic situation. That's all. There is uh, very no tracing, because in this condition, there is no tracing. Uh, do you want to say anything in response to Alana's comments, Marcus and Gabrielle, or should we go on to the next question? Go, go ahead. Oh, I finished. <laughs> I, okay, cool. So we have uh, one final question now from uh, Tom from the chat. So how much has corruption been a factor in Bolsonaro's promotion of chloroquine and other unproven remedies? I'm thinking about deals made with drug manufacturers and local politicians, particularly ahead of the local elections last year. 
That is a great question, and we have to investigate more about it because it's clear that he used a lot of money to buy chloroquine from India, the, the active ingredients to produce chloroquine. He ordered the laboratory of the army to produce chloroquine. He um, used the budgets of five min ministries to to produce chloroquine, but and there has been no, there has been some information in the news of the overwhelming amount of money used in this uh, drug, and that he insists, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Gabriel can correct me. Even in the last week, he has defended chloroquine, no, with a very yeah. terrible word. He uses the term. Um, what is the term? Tratamiento precoz? Early, early treatment. Early treatment. Something like that. But you, you know in Brazil when somebody talks early treatment, it means chloroquine. And, and it, it's, it, it appears in the, in the, um, when it, it, uh, as part of the propaganda of the drug. And now, all of this, and maybe this might be my final comment, I don't know if Gabriel wants to add something too, is part of what I see as an humanitarian crisis. No, An humanitarian crisis, not only because of the high numbers of people who have died, and that will, unfortunately, will be more in the next few days or weeks, but an humanitarian crisis in the sense that it gives the impression of the country unable to help itself, where the institutions that oppose Bolsonaro are not able to create a coalition or an alliance to change the course of the government, to recommend the correct medication, to give the rational hygienic rules. So I say it with a lot of, um, I'm concerned because I recently said it to a Brazilian friend and she, that is very much opposed to Bolsonaro, didn't like it at all. But I said it was it's similar to one of those countries, very poor countries that have a earthquake and are need help from outside. They, there is nothing inside the society right now that can change what is going on. Hopefully, I'm mistaken, and maybe Lula or somebody else will be able to rapidly change the course. Gabriel, would you like to say something about this humanitarian crisis? It's perfect. I have nothing to add. I'd like to say thank you for the questions, and thank you all. Great. Well, thank you so much, Marcus and Gabrielle, both for your lecture and for your really interesting responses there to the various questions. And thank you to the audience for engaging with the content in such an interesting way. Um, so it just remains to be said that this is the second of a three-part lecture series on the long history of the coronavirus crisis. And the next lecture will be with John Fabian Witt of Yale Law School uh, at the same time, five o'clock on Monday. I've just posted the uh, link to sign up on the chat, uh, the Eventbrite link, and it would be great to see some of you there. Thank you again to Gabrielle and to Marcus, and have a great evening, everyone.